Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. I invite you to turn with me in your New Testaments to Paul's uh, letter to the Colossians. Uh, this morning we continue on in our, in our studies uh, and we will be picking up in chapter 2 in the first verse as we look for what God is speaking to us this morning. Beginning in verse 1, Paul writes to the Colossians, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. And as we start, we start with a, a personal confession that I have to make. I'm not proud of this in the least of any imagination. But as I confess to you, I, I let you know that this past winter, I got taken for a ride. I got taken for a ride. I'll tell you, I'm usually pretty discerning. I'm not the type that would fall to those, t- those text messages or emails that you might get that tell you your Amazon or Netflix account password needs to be reset. Don't ever click on those links, by the way. But every once in a while, some things are done just so well that you cannot help but buy in. And what took me for a ride was a video that I came across on YouTube, and the caption under the video said, Coming in 2023. And by all appearances, it looked to be a trailer for a movie that was going to be released this year. And I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And to be fair, I'm trying to be graceful towards myself. I think any kid of the 80s or the 90s like me would have been taken by the trailer just for the sheer nostalgia of it. In case you're wondering, it was a trailer for the movie Back to the Future Part 4. I mean, the trailer had everything that a kid like me might imagine. It had Marty McFly with like Ray-Bans that were dropping on the tip of his nose. It had the DeLorean with the doors dropping and then like peeling out to go 88 miles an hour. You remember how the tires would spin out and there'd be like flames that are just burning. Like the whole thing, man, took me back to when I was a kid. There's just one problem with it all. I saw the trailer and I'm like, Googling, like, when is this thing coming out in 2023? I'm going to be there. Turns out, it's not really happening. It wasn't a trailer from a production company. It was a fan-made trailer that was really more hopeful than anything. There's no Back to the Future Part 4. So it made me realize that there are some things from the past that we so desperately want to relive, but they'll never come to be. You know, things like ever seeing the Cowboys win the Super Bowl again. Not happening, right? Or things that I remember as a child, like when my parents were still able to fill up and get a gallon of gas for 97 cents. Not happening anymore either. 
And there's other things that, that, uh, that resurrect trends from yesteryear if you just wait around long enough. Things like fashion, for example. Like you, I've noticed that back in fashion are things like Polaroid cameras or, or bell-bottom jeans, believe it or not. So if you've had any, it's in fashion to wear them again. You won't see me wearing them. It's not my style. But as we begin to shift this morning's text, can I just simply say that the Apostle Paul had discovered that genuinely following Jesus Christ in his day wasn't fashionable? In fact, as it turns out, as Paul writes this letter to this tiny church, he knew quite personally how unfashionable following Christ was. I mean, think about this. Today, when, when writers of popular books write or set, to, set out to write their next bestseller, I mean, they seek out places of beauty for inspiration. And some do their, their writing from mountainside cabins with roaring log fires or alongside the serene views of a bubbling brook in the cool of the spring. But because of the unfashionableness of following Christ, Paul's inspiration is different than what I just described. Paul's inspiration came from things like the five times he received 39 lashings, the three times he was beaten with rods, the time others threw stones at him, the three times he faced shipwreck. His inspiration came from the fact that he couldn't trust people he knew any more than people he never knew. Everyone was looking for a chance to rob him or turn him in. And none of this mentions, by the way, how many sleepless nights he faced, how many times he hungered or thirsted, or how many times he was arrested and locked up. Why? All because following Jesus wasn't trendy for Paul. And so with that brief context, we would be wise to recall that in our study last week when we were together, the text that we studied opened with a seeming contradiction that's raised by Paul. We find it in verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1. I hope your Bible's still open, but I'll read it for you in case it's not. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And so this contradiction is the tension of suffering and rejoicing. And I'll tell you, I read that once and it didn't sink in. And I read it ten times and, it, and I discovered it's like a nail that you try to hammer into a board that you can't just get started. That ever happened to you? You just keep beating on the head and it just never gets started. It's like there's a little dimple on the board, but every time you swing the hammer, the nail just falls over on the side. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. See, Paul has never met most of the people that he's writing this to. So let's add this wrinkle to this. Suffering for the sake of people you've never met. And rejoicing in the suffering of lashings and beatings and hunger and thirst and imprisonment. Well, where did Paul draw his joy from? What propelled or what compelled him? And Maybe most pertinent to the questions for you and I this morning, where might you and I look to in order to rejoice with Paul when we face suffering or struggle? What benefit is there in these subjects, we might ask? And of course, I would say to begin to answer these questions, it's going to require a big step for some of us. The first step is to even assess 
how we go about revealing the presence of adversities in our lives at all. Now, there's some false ways that we go about revealing these things. The first is one, is a, is a sense where we pretend like nothing ever rocks our boat. I think many of us try to pretend to be a, a character from the, the silver screens, like, like a Neo from the Matrix. You ever seen that movie, by the way? It's based on this idea that the characters are experiencing, uh, as they experience life, they think it's real as they go about walking the streets of their everyday life. But it's actually virtual reality that they're in. And so the main character, Neo, he's played by Keanu Reeves. He reaches a place of maturation as this Messiah-like character known as the One, if you've seen the films that can anticipate what's going to come be, because before it happens. He can just anticipate because he can see the code of the virtual reality. And he has such control over the virtual reality that he comes to a place that he's seemingly invincible. And if you watch the, the, the movies, he winds up doing jujitsu. It is like fighting off a guy with one arm, and he might as well to just embellish it, be polishing his nails on the other side, Okay? Hair is perfectly styled. It never moves. Neo's perfectly in control. And it's this idea that we have our lives perfectly together, that we have our lives perfectly under control, that I think prevails for some of us. We have this inner desire to, to portray to the world that we're a Neo in the Matrix or a Wonder Woman or whoever it is in our minds that never seems to really face struggle. Of course, there's the other side of this coin, right? The other side of the coin might be the person who isn't pretending like their boat never rocks. But what they, what's true for them is that you'd never actually catch them out at sea because their outlook's so pessimistic. For them, too many storms have battered them or their proverbial boat has sprung more leaks than they can manage. Oh, they're neither Neo or the Wonder Woman, but their life might be summed up as somebody who, who believes that they can't find a minute of playing time on a team like the Bad News Bears. That person whose life has been so chewed up and so spit out so many times, there's no longer any fight left in them. And yet neither of these are how Paul describes himself. He says in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for a bunch of people across a certain region that he's never, ever met. And the reason Paul has been suffering for the sake of the Colossians and others is that he's never, that he's never met, is that he's been working for a long time so they might come to know where hope is found and that they might come to know the difference that that hope should make in their lives. Now the ESV from which I read uh, translates this as how great a struggle. If you're reading from the NIV, it just in a more active way talks about struggling of Paul. But the sense behind the force of this struggle is that Paul's been in a fight as a person in ministry. He's been in a boxing match. And yet, he's neither the unrealistic person like Neo, nor is he the pessimistic person who can't get a minute of playing time on the Bad News Bears. He has a deep sense that he's the furthest idea of, of from, furthest from the idea of being the heavyweight champion of the world. In fact, he's in a fight, he's in a match, but the judges scoring the match, the fight, have him losing more rounds than he's ever won. He's far from any sense of being 
in control. In fact, things aren't perfectly in control at all. What he's found is that the enemy has landed some real punches. He's bloodied. He's bruised. But unlike the other persona, Paul's still in the boats at sea. He's still in the fight. But Paul's no sooner going to throw in the towel than have anyone believe that following Jesus is just going to be a breeze. He's genuinely sharing that the challenge of following Jesus requires him to hang in the fight. And he does so for a reason. Someone says, just by observation, well, this is really noble. Paul's making an effort here to live authentically before others. That's, That's worth celebrating. Yet there's someone else who probably is thinking with a bit of skepticism. You know, that's true. What's his motivation in all of this? I've been around church enough. I've been around these preacher types. Out of one side of their mouth, they're talking about all of the struggles they face in ministry. And they follow that up with some request to, to help them buy a new pickup or something like that. Well, notice with me that Paul puts any ill suspicions about his motivation to bed when he explains the purpose for his struggle. He does so beginning in verse 2. He says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Well, what's he saying his motivation is? It's this. It's to encourage the church. It's to encourage all the people redeemed by Christ. To encourage all the people who have been delivered from the realm of death unto the realm of life. To encourage them to grow in the proper understanding of the gospel. And the proper understanding of the gospel is what this business of the riches of full assurance of understanding is all about, by the way. And I want to unpack that for just a moment for you. And I'll unpack it in this way. It's a regular habit for us here to say that when someone professes faith in Christ, that they have been saved. They've been saved like it's a done deal, signed, sealed, and delivered. Okay? And just to make sure that everyone is tracking with me, when the Word of God talks about being saved, what God means is humans receiving mercy and being spared from the punishment of their sin. And that punishment is the wrath of God Himself. It is the wrath of God that is coming the way of every person who rejects Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And when we say that we've been saved, there's, there's actually an underlying futureness to this. That salvation ultimately comes to us when we stand before God Himself in judgment. And when that judgment is read, the verdict read aloud in our criminal court case for our sin declares us just rather than guilty because Christ has given to us His righteousness. That's what makes us just. And for those who are in Christ, for those who have by grace been saved through faith and have received the free gift of God, we speak of salvation as a very present condition even though it really is a future hope. What right do we have to do that? How is that? Is it presumptuous, maybe, to expect salvation so confidently? Not at all. Not in the least bit. At least not when you're talking about the king. 
Not when you're talking about Jesus. Not when you're talking about the one who is the signee of the new covenant written in his blood. See, Jesus Christ, God himself, he has staked his own name. He staked his own reputation. Jesus has promised to make good on his salvation. And because Jesus Christ is faithful, because Jesus Christ is trustworthy in every last way, you can flip every page of this Bible and find out about Christ's faithfulness and trustworthiness. Those of us who are in Christ, because all our hope and our trust rests in Christ, we who are in Christ can reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Think of it like this. When we try to earn trust with somebody, we flex on all our accomplishments, right? We talk about our educational accomplishments. We talk about all our positive experiences. Why do we do that? Because in a sense, we're selling ourselves, aren't we? Well, Paul's not doing that. And Paul's not even trying to sell Jesus to people on these terms as I'm describing them just now either. He's not saying something like, you really ought to check out this guy named Jesus. He's super dope. That's how the kids talk today, by the way. Yeah, you can find him on Instagram or TikTok at the handle at Son of God. He's not talking about Jesus in that way. Paul's not even telling them to believe what he is saying himself on the basis that he's planted a ton of now successful churches or that he's trained a bunch of pastors. He's not embellishing or promoting himself. He's also not saying that he gave this Jesus a try and found out that when things get tough, that Jesus wasn't there for him, and so he just gave up on it. He's not saying that either. He's saying, and, and I think this is the word, a word for you, for you and for me today, he's saying something like this. You know, following Jesus, it's never been easy. But Jesus never promised it would be. I think he's saying, and I I know you feel that pressure that comes from the sense of losing all the time. Because I feel it. I know what it means to feel like losing. But we have to avoid going the way of pretending to be something that we're not. As much as we need to avoid going the way of just giving up on everything. We've got to hang in there. We have to encourage one another in spirit. Because in reality, not a one of us is hanging in so much as it's Jesus who's hanging on to us. Jesus has brought us into his body. Jesus has brought us into his covenant. Jesus has brought us into his promise. Jesus has brought us into him. And because we each bear the name of Jesus, we can encourage, we can uplift, we can edify one another in love Because we don't measure each other by our wins or our losses, but by grace, by His grace. My friend, I may not know all that you're facing, but if you are in Christ, please stop faking it and stop giving up at the same time. Be real. Stay in the fight. Show up. Christ has redeemed you. He has redeemed me for a time such as this. And each of us sticking together, it encourages our hearts and it teaches to us the full understanding of the mystery of the gospel at the same time.
But yet we have another question here. What does the full or complete understanding mean? Well, Paul tells us towards the end of verse 2 and into verse 3, he tells us that he's struggled, that he's fought for so many he's never even met so that they might receive the full understanding found in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in other words, Paul's doing all this struggling, going through all this suffering, so that you and I might discover all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Jesus Christ. Of course, right now I know that, or I bet because I said treasure, some ears perked up or some folks woke back up because they say something like treasure, you say. Well, treasure is an interesting word. It means getting rich, right? There's a lot of people who wouldn't mind that, I suspect. About a decade ago, there was a hospital cafeteria worker who was over in England, and he discovered a huge stash of Roman coins. He was walking around in a field in England with his metal detector when the thing started beep, 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 going off. He dug down a bit at his feet, and he found a large pot that held 52,000 bronze and silver coins. And that stash was valued then at $5 million. That's no small amount of change, right? I've never seen five million bucks in person. He did. But here's the thing. Five million dollars is nothing compared to the vast riches of what Paul and others like him who are held captive by Christ are struggling to share. Friend, those of us who are held captive in Christ are not on a quest to seek silver or gold, but we are searching to mine the depths of Christ's beauty for the precious gems of insight about the gospel itself so that we might know Jesus Christ, the Savior, King of all. You should be hearing both a comfort and a challenge right now, by the way. A comfort in the sense that we don't need to look for wisdom or knowledge outside what we as followers of Jesus Christ already possess. We possess everything that truly matters because Christ has given himself to us. And we can search him exclusively. And we don't need to look beyond the Bible to find insights into Christ's beauty and magnificence. And yet it should be equally challenging because we've got a long way to go if we're to explore and make our own the rich inheritance that we've entered into. Jesus Christ is himself the mystery of God. He's not a key to the mystery. He's not a clue to the mystery. He is the mystery of God. Jesus is everything we might want to ask God about. And God's purposes can and God's purposes must be answered in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. So there's a practical word on this. The hidden treasure of knowing the Lord is found in the Bible. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, almost to the very end of that psalm that you know is the longest chapter in the Bible, in verse 162, the psalmist says this, I rejoice at your word like one who strikes rich. Do you read your Bible like someone who is striking rich, mining the depths of treasure, of beauty and magnificence of Jesus Christ as you're grasping on to the greatest treasure of all. I rejoice at your word like one who strikes rich. My friend, if we read the word of God hurriedly, if we read it carelessly, 
We're going to miss all the deep insights that there are. These truths must be sought earnestly with all the, all the attention of someone seeking hidden treasure. Committed. My friends, start digging. Start digging into the treasures that are stored in the Bible. I want to say a word to the young people in this room and those who are otherwise new to the faith. And I, the, the word I want to say comes from the spirit of what Paul is telling the church this church of people who have recently come to faith in Christ, by the way. He's telling them in verses 4 and 5 that he does not want them, neither do I want you to get carried away by people who sound really right, who sound really good, but are deadly wrong. Deadly wrong. My friend, you're going to encounter people who belittle you by saying things like your faith is just a crutch. They're going to say things to you like, don't you know how precious your time is? Why would you waste your Sundays going to church, man? There's better things you could do. You could watch the Cowboys lose when football's in season. Why would you take personal time? Why would you take personal resources to volunteer or take that trip? And then you're going to hear voices that tell you things like, you know, if, if there is really a God, all he really wants for your life is to be happy. Just to be happy. That's what God wants. Don't you know that? So go be happy. Go on a lake. Go on the mountainside. Go be happy. So many different ways these enticing people who say things that sound so good are really trying to rob you of the most precious treasure that there is. This is the treasure that every person within an earshot of my voice needs. And a, every person is able to freely receive. It's to know Jesus Christ as Savior and King. Yet sadly, so few do. I've told us before that within a 15-minute drive, any direction from this church, there are 21,000 people, and most of them do not know the depth of riches that is the treasure of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and King. Most of them don't. They don't. And you wonder, how, how, are they, how, do, how do they not know? How are they even living life? You wonder that. Well, let me tell you. Our literal neighbors, 15 minutes from here, they're living like God is not really real. That's the belief of this age, by the way. Oh, we talk about Jesus. By the way, my heart breaks at the thought that this might be true for some of you in this pew, in the pews. You want to believe, but you don't. You want to believe that this Jesus was real. You want to believe that he went to a cross. You want to believe that he was buried in a tomb and on the third day was raised. But it sounds more like the tale of Peter Rabbit than it does reality. It's the case for many of our neighbors within 15 minutes of here. They're living with the idea that to believe that God exists and to have faith in God classifies you and classifies me as certifi certifiably crazy, by the way. And that's why we have to stay in the fight. That's why we have to be real. That's why we have to be authentic. There's a reason for suffering and there's a reason for struggle in gospel ministry because in it, we bear witness to Christ. Have you ever wondered what, 
what you what, what we think Paul might say at the suggestion of the modern man saying that faith in Christ meant mental illness? You ever thought about that? Well, I think Paul would say that living life apart from one that is surrendered to Christ as king, that is what's crazy. That is lunacy. And Jesus Christ is himself the mystery of God. And in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ is every bit of God in the flesh. That crucified and risen Christ who summarized in where we started in Colossians in chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. That Christ who is described to us as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, who is God himself in human form, through whom God has worked to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. If we're in Christ, we have to remain faithful to this Christ. Not my Christ, right? There's this whole thing, my Jesus. This Christ, the one in Scripture that testifies to the reality of God incarnate. This Emmanuel who is God with us. We, we testify and continue and persevere knowing that because he suffered, when we follow him, we too will suffer. Yet the mystery of this all is that the fruit of our faithfulness in suffering is more faithfulness. Not so much that we grow in faithfulness in response to our own suffering, but because in the midst of suffering and being faithful to Christ, it encourages the hearts of our brothers and sisters so that they too understand the, the, the mystery of the gospel in Christ Jesus and they find themselves ever more faithful to him. And when God in his grace permits us those glimmers of seeing others' faithfulness to Christ, all the suffering that we face, all the sacrifice we make, it's replaced by joy. It's replaced by joy. I don't know about you, but it encourages me when I can look into the eyes of a senior saint in this congregation and see joy because they can see faithfulness to Christ in me. And my friends... I'd ask you, I'd implore you, I'd encourage you, stay true to the mystery of the gospel. Mind the depths of God's treasure and find the immeasurable and infinite wealth that is Jesus Christ. You want to know what this world, what, what, what this calls us to seek and to apply? To be incarnational. To be incarnational. I'm not talking about condensed milk right now, by the way. To be incarnational. If you heard that before, you know that that's a big word that's used about Jesus. And you're right. But here's the thing. If we're in Christ, we're a member of his body. We are the presence of Christ in this world. My friend, that's who we are. We're the embodiment of Jesus. The Jesus who demonstrated radical grace as he revealed the Father to the lost and dying world. The Jesus who is the glory of of God himself. We reveal, my friends, the very real, the very literal, the very loving, the very graceful, the very merciful, the very wrathful, the very righteous prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. No one can sustain suffering 
no one can sustain struggle that comes in following the Jesus way unless they personally met Jesus Christ, by the way. I'll tell you, Paul met him. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 9. But nothing I have spoken to you about is anything that you can take into action unless you have been drawn into the very real and the absolutely returned from the dead, Jesus Christ, who is described to us in Colossians chapter 1. And when you have, out of the abundance of the wealth of the treasure that God has given to you in Jesus Christ, you can be with people in a Christ-like way. And that's our aim today. To set a course in which we each live our lives for the sake of others, that they might see and that they might know Jesus Christ. If you were with us last week, you might remember that we baptized a new, mem- uh, a new brother into our membership. And at the end of our service, when, when I'm through, you'll see a replay of his testimony and his baptism. And I don't want to, in this time, in making reference to it, I do not want to take a shred of glory away from what Jesus has done to save our brother. But I also want to invite you to take note of what our new brother has to say about an influential friend of his. I don't know all the story. I don't. But I imagine that that was a friendship that required some loving persistence, required some struggle, required perseverance to make known the mystery and treasure of God. And I want to ask you to imagine. Imagine for a moment what it means to walk with, what it means to pray with, what it means to eat with others in their ups and downs until they finally see God's mystery, who is Christ Jesus. Imagine the encouragement and the love that comes from witnessing Jesus Christ call another into his covenant. As you imagine that, I want to ask you to ask yourself, am I genuinely walking with others? Am I showing others who is Christ in me? Now for some of you, that's going to mean getting back in the fight. Jesus did not go to a cross. Jesus did not defeat the power of sin and death so that you would live a hobbit's life. My friend, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you are the light of the world. Let that light shine forth to reveal the glory of God. Live your life for the sake of others so that they might know and they might see Jesus Christ. For others of you, It is my prayer that the Spirit of God reveal to you who Jesus Christ is. That the Spirit of God would open your eyes to the humility of God that it would take to build a bridge for you so that you might enter into relationship with Him. And there's so many other nice-sounding good people who would try to dismiss what I'm about to say and what I've been saying as crazy who would try to dismiss this all as just some grand fairy tale that will not go away. But my friend, God is real. God is real. God is active in this world, both in the big things and the very small things. God is here today. His name is Jesus. And you may not know this, but Jesus was called crazy in his day. And because the idea of God adding to himself humanity sounded absolutely crazy, Jesus suffered terribly for this. He was rejected. 
He died because of this. He died for you. He died so that you might have life everlasting. But friend, he died, yet he's alive, having been raised on the third day. And in his resurrection, every dark power, every demon of hell, and death itself have been dealt a death blow. Jesus Christ has made peace by the blood of his cross. My friend, is it peace that you feel burdened for that you lack today? He offers that to you. He offers it. You can enter into the peace of Jesus Christ because in the grace of God, Jesus has done every last thing that is needed for you to receive it. And I'm going to ask you to do something absolutely crazy by the world's standards. I'm going to ask you if you actually believe this. And I tell you, and I ask you that on the basis that I do. I mean, the world can call me crazy. They can spit on me. They can take away my home. They can try to take away everything that I hold near to my life. But nothing's going to shake me from the fact that I believe that God is real and God became flesh and he dwelt among us and that he went to a cross and on the third day has arisen and has ascended on high with the Father in heaven. And when I have surrendered my life to him and because I've received the free gift of grace, I'm free. I'm free. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guest at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.